wait here, second class, second class, wait here, wait here, second class, second class, wait here. And so I was born of fathers from where icebound harbors are, men whose strong limbs never rested and whose blue eyes saw afar. Anne-Marie Hansen just shared an excerpt from Henry Lawson's poem, The Wanderlight, in which Henry referred to his father's Norwegian origins. I'm Professor Gregory Bryan, and together with Anne-Marie, in today's episode of the Henry Lawson's Crumbs podcast, we discuss Henry Lawson's father and Norwegian ancestry. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Greg. Looking forward to today. We have a special guest today. It's a pleasure to welcome from Norway, Kari Menti Jagelvi. Now, when I first met Kari at Henry Lawson's father and grandfather's home in Norway, she was introduced to me as the Norwegian who knew more about Henry Lawson than any other person in the country. So it's a pleasure to have Kari with us. And I apologize for my regrettably poor mispronunciation of your name, Kari. I take some comfort from you telling me that even Norwegians can't pronounce it properly. <laughs> so can you please uh, start us off by saying your name as I should have said it? Yes, you should have said Kavi Mentiagelvi. Mentiagelvi. I'm, 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 I'm not even in the ballpark, am I? <laughs> Mentiagelvi. But it is a Finnish name, you see. I married into a Finnish family. And uh, because it's a Finnish name, I guess that's that's why it's uh, something that even the Norwegians struggle to pronounce correctly. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a pleasure to have you here with us, Kari. Um, we're delighted that you would uh, agree to join with us um, to talk about uh, Henry Lawson's Norwegian side of the family. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for your time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Th thank you so much, Kari, for joining us. Greg has mentioned that you live close to where Henry Lawson's father and grandfather lived in Norway at, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Tromoy? Tromoy. Tromoy. Okay. Tromoy. A is island. A is an island. Okay. Tromoy. Can you tell us just a little bit about this region? I live in a small town called Arendal. It's a seaside town. There are about 45,000 inhabitants these days. If you live like I do, I live on top, on the top, and I look at look to the south. Then I can, then I can see two big islands outside the town. Wow. Uh, and the left one, the, the island to the east, is Trumé. It's oh. a fairly long island. Very beautiful. Very beautiful. There are two islands. You can see that there's. Um, you can see two lighthouses far out, very beautiful. Um, it's a very beautiful area. Yeah. How did you become interested in Lawson? Uh, that is uh, quite a story. Because mm. That's a very strange <laughs> story. Because I grew up in Arvindal. I also spent a lot of time in Tumai all my life. Um, but I never heard a word about Henry Lawson. Never, ever. But then I, I got educated and I moved to the very northeast of Norway. And that is a far, that's very far away. It's about 2,500 kilometers from Oslo. It's, um, there is a 
we we have a border there with Russia, and I lived in walking distance to the Russian border mm. in a small mining <coughs> village called Bjornvatn, very near Sirkines. You will find it on the map. And I stayed there for about 20 years, a bit more, and um, worked as a teacher. Then in, well, we lived just by a big iron ore mine. Mm. And in uh, 1985-86, the Norwegian government wanted to shut down the mine. And miners went on strike. And suddenly, a very unexpected phone call came. And that was from uh, the trade union, trade union boss. And he said, could you please, would it be okay for you to be on, on a board taking care of money for the, for the miners on strike? And I said, yes. And on the first meeting we had on this board with him and with him, we were in his home and suddenly and quite unexpectedly, he recited a long poem in English for me. And he ended up by saying, you should know this, this poet because he comes from Ardendorf. That was the first time I heard. It. And it, it, it was a poem about sea and seaweed, etc., etc. I've seen it later. And I was, I'd never ever heard of him. But this puzzled me and uh, made me so curious. Years later, I took a lot more education. I ended up writing a thesis about Henry Laws because I became so curious. Do you remember the name of the, that poem? No, not at the moment. I haven't put it. So that's really interesting that you had to go so far away from home and, yes. and Henry Lawson's ancestral home to, to stumble upon um, Henry Lawson somewhat by accident. And yeah. it's, it's also interesting that there is that union, that trade union connection as well. Yes, yes, yes that's right. Uh, he may not have been an average trade union boss because he used to have his own bookshop before starting mm. working in the mine. So he, he, he must have been particularly interested in literature and he had been to Australia. But the funny thing is, I tried for a couple of years to find, find books somehow by Henry Lawson. And I went to Tromsø once, and there I found one book in, in uh, the university library. No, nothing else was to be found in our way books that I could find. Went to London there, I found some poems, <laughs> that was all. So it was hard to find something in the, about him in the beginning. Then we moved to Arendt. The family moved to Arendt. And I sat reading one afternoon, uh, sat reading the new local newspaper one afternoon, and suddenly I read there was going to be a meeting at Tomei. A history meeting in a historical club, history club, and uh, it was to be about it was to be about Henry Lawson, hmm. and uh, the person who was going to talk about him was a relative called Marion Fosse, and I just jumped out of the chair, ran out of the door, and into the car, and I I got there just in time, and it was very interesting. And I talked to Marion later, and we became very good friends. And she could help me with a lot of books because she'd had many visits from Colin Rudrick. So okay. he sent her all his books. 
we'll, we'll yeah. talk about uh, Colin Roderick's visits later on, actually, because yeah. that is an yeah. interesting part of the whole story. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting, you know, for, for people to, to realize that there are still, as you just indicated, there are still relatives of Henry Lawson living in, uh, in Norway. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned, Kari, your um, further studies that you did, and this led you in 1996 to complete a university oh. thesis on Henry Lawson. Oh. Yeah. And in your thesis, you wrote that Henry's father mm -hmm. was a gentle, quiet, good-natured man who won mm -hmm. his son's affection. However, you also acknowledged that owing to his frequent absences, he was a rather remote parent. So what can you tell us about Henry's father, Peter? Um, I, well, for one thing, I, I wrote that I... I, I can tell you a bit about him later, but I, I really think that when Henry Lawson wrote about his father, he, he he described him as loving and caring, and he writes very warmly about him. So even if he, he obviously he he was away a lot and he, he worked very hard all the time, but uh, if you if it is true, for instance, that that uh, the foreign father in uh, a child in the dark and the foreign father should be his father, uh, it, it, we get a picture of a very caring person. And uh, when Henry Lawson wrote, wrote about his funeral or his death, he writes beautifully about his father. Right, he talks about these horny, knotted hands that never rested, and suddenly, you know, that he never, had never seen them rest. And suddenly, he says, and I quote now, as I turned away from his grave, I wished that I could write or paint or do something to help these people, my bush people, for he was my father. And of course, he spent a lot of time in the Blue Mountains with his father and in Mount Victoria with his father. And he taught Henry Lawson a lot of practical works that helped him later. Yeah, no, he did that. They did a lot of work together during Henry's childhood and, and uh, adolescence. Oh. Um, can you tell us anything about Peter's life in Norway oh. before he came to Australia? Yes, yes. Uh, when you say Peter, um, you know, I, I think of Nils. <laughs> because his father's name was Peter, Peter so that's also Peter. But um, yes, he, you, you've been to Flodermorn, uh, you have been where he lived. Uh, Tome is a long island with shifting nature, but this part of the island is um, flat. And there's a lot of rural, there's a lot of agriculture, not very many houses, an old church, and this house where Nils or Peter, as you say, Peter, uh, grew up. Um, yes, uh, I don't know about his childhood, but he went to school for about eight years there. Um, the system at that time was that the church provided a kind of school. And of course his father was his teacher. And we'll talk about that, I suppose, later. Uh, so Nils or Peter, and his older brother, three-year-old brother, Eilert Garrat, went at the same time to school. 
and were bright, bright students. But they, they wanted to become sailors when they grew up. Most men here at the time became sailors. And uh, there were lots of lots of places where, where they built sailing ships all over the place. So both these brothers wanted to become sailors. And they went, so they went to study navigation, they worked in shipyards, they had to learn everything about how to run a ship, how running ships. And both these brothers became masters of navigation at exam. Um, now, we know that Henry's father had a sweetheart, and she was called Serene Maria, Serene Maria from Tomei. Uh, one day he went, he, he was, he came home from a voyage and found that she had fallen in love with his older brother, Eilid Garat, instead. And that made his world fall apart. So she married, of course, his brother. Uh, broken hearted, he decided to leave Norway forever. And he signed on a bark called Henriette and left Norway on in February 1853. And so at that time he was 20 years of age. Yes, um, yes about that. Mm. Yeah, 21 years. And then um, for the next several years, I understand that he did a lot of uh, world traveling. Yes, yes, he did. Until, yes, until he ended up in outside Australia. Yeah, in Melbourne. Now, I should, I, sorry, I, I was just going to point out that uh, I have an older brother and I live in another country, but yeah. I want to make it clear that I didn't leave uh, my homeland because my brother stole my girlfriend. But that, no, is, no. that is a, that's a, a fascinating story. Yes, it's a sad story for him. <laughs> yeah. Now, Carrie, when I was in Norway in 2019, I visited uh, the, the home that we're talking about, Henry's father's and grandfather's house, and, and mm. I also visited the church that you've mentioned. Now, mm. can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Henry's grandfather, uh, mm. his, his role with that church? Yeah. Um, he, for one thing, he grew up on the mainland somewhere called Fladen in Oestremolen. He went the church at that time. The church provided schools actually, and he went to a school where he grew up. And he was a bright boy. He must have been a very bright boy, a bright student, because he was picked out by people in the church to go to Christian Sam as a very young boy. He could go to a school that would make him a teacher, and he went there. He was picked out, private school, taught by the bishop himself and vicar, uh, and the, <clears throat> the school didn't last very long. But uh, as he was actually trained as a teacher at 17 years old. And when he was about 20, uh, the teacher at Tome died, the man who had the job, and uh, he got the job instead. So then he got his job at Gladmoor. Then he had to take care of the widow, 
because she had no money. She was given no money. He had to take care of her. And the funny thing is, after a year, he actually married the daughter of his predecessor and his widow, Marta Margrethe. So that, that, that woman became Henry Lawson's grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they had nine children, actually. They lost two daughters, but they all had seven left in the end. Um, but he was, this, Pierre, this man called Peter, the grandfather, his job was he helped out in church all kinds of practical arrangements, um, weddings, burials, whatever. Uh, he, he, had, he had a good voice, so he always could lead the singing. You know, Greg was mentioning something about Henry's grandfather and an invasion. Yes. Could, you could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes I will. But maybe I should tell Yeah, Yeah, I could. He was actually quite young when this happened. <clears throat> he was quite young when this happened, really. Uh, before I tell this, I have to go back to history a bit. Because, okay. because this happened in the Napoleonic Wars. Norway was Danish at the time. And Denmark was in company with France. And so one day, all of a sudden, the, the English, a lot of the English Navy came. And there was a fight in Copenhagen Harbor. And they managed to destroy most of the Danish fleet. After that, it was almost impossible for ships to go to Norway. For, they, they stopped all ships going to Norway. Norway needed food. They needed grain, other sorts of food. There was a great hunger uh, period in Norway at the time. So some ships tried to, to help Norway. But if English ships saw it, they stopped the ships and took the, the sailors back to England and put them in prison. Mm. And now I will come back to this day because one day, um, an, a Norwegian schooner was, was on its way to Arendal with grain. And it was detected by an, an English warship. And uh, it had to turn and try to sail away. Uh, and it got as far as about a kilometers, kilometer from where the church was. There's a long, long shore there. And the Norwegians tried to get ashore there. Uh, and the English boat uh, launched a boat to try to catch them. And if they had caught them, they would have sent the sailors to prison in England. But then, then came, then Pedro, Lawson's, Lawson's uh, grandfather, came to the rescue. He gathered the, all the women he could find. So just to be clear, Carrie, so he saw them from the shore. He yeah, saw this yeah, happening. Yeah. yeah, he could see them from above. Yeah. And he saw this happen. And he he, he tried to find as many women as he could. The men were out, <laughs> probably at sea and elsewhere. And they brought sticks, long sticks with them. And they crept <laughs> on top of this shore, tried to hide behind boulders and big stones various kinds and the people in the boats could see the sticks and then the father grandma this grandfather he he, he crept from 
one from one of these women to the other, and he shot toward the sea. He had a he really had a gun. The others hadn't. And the, the they just the, had a stick that they were pretending was yeah, a gun. Yeah, yeah. And the people on board the ship thought, okay, there must be a lot of soldiers up there, so we have to go. We have to leave. So they turned around, went on board the ship again, went to England, and the Norwegians were saved. And for this, Peder, the grandfather, was given a Danish award by the Danish king. It was called the Order of Danebro, and it was it was not it was very it was a great honor to get. It. So he got it in 1812 when he was 28 years old. So he was he was quite the hero. He was the hero. Hmm. Now, Carrie, you visited Australia in search of Henry Lawson, and I visited Norway for the same reason. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier Colin Roderick uh, visiting. Are there yeah. many Australians who make their way to uh, Treme to visit and to yeah. uh, seek out Henry Lawson? Yes, there have been quite a lot. Well, Roderick was there several times. Manning Clark wanted to go, also wanted to go to to the same relatives. But at that time, they were a bit tired of having <laughs> <laughs> Australians on the visit. And they were not particularly fond of <laughs> Manning Clark. So, <laughs> so he got no for an answer. <laughs> well, well, let me be clear that I was made most welcome. So I think that that attitude perhaps has uh, changed a little bit. And I certainly think that Australians yeah. will find them themselves very well, warmly received if they yeah, do and, visit. Yeah, and we have had many, you can't imagine, we've had many, many Australians here. Yeah, recently, fairly recently. And the funny thing is, I used to belong to a quilting group and it must have been 15 years ago or something. Um, and uh, suddenly one day we got into contact with a quilting group in Grenfell. In Grenfell, where Henry yes. was born. Yes, yes. And we had two visits from this group, two, twice the visitors from this group coming to our Norwegian quilt group, quilting group. And suddenly one day we got a present in the post and it was a marvelous quilting, actually. So from Grenfell to us, it was beautiful. And there was um, there was a poem attached, and it was a, it, they had quilted a tree that had been that had been planted by Henry's daughter. And the the the, the poem was "Send Grenfell to my spirit." It was written. Right, one of, one of Henry's poems. Yeah, yeah. And so we became very thankful. And we made another, we made a quilt that we sent to Australia, to Grenfell. It's about Tomé, with lots of pictures of Lawson and other things. And you can see it in Grenfell Art Gallery. It's hanging there. And the people, ah. the people in Grenfell will be delighted to know that the, their quilt is hanging in this uh, Henry Lawson yeah. ancestral home. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, obviously I saw that when I was there. So it is. It's wonderful that this connection uh, does yeah. exist. And as I say, uh, Australians should uh, feel very uh, sure that they will be warmly welcomed there. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we have had many more visitors. We have had two twice. We have had buses filled with Australians who wanted to come to the northern countries to visit places where there have been um, very famous authors. And so we we two busloads we've had there twice, and. Uh, we have now there has been because of the pandemic there's been nothing but there will be a new visit next year in the autumn next year another bus yeah that's wonderful that's wonderful it's a great it's a wonderful bridge that henry lawson has helped you know to to erect Uh, and here we have anne marie canadian and me australian and and you norwegian so i mean henry lawson's influences uh certainly spread far and wide Yes, so, and, and, and individuals have come, like you did. And a lawyer from Canberra came, and she said, when I saw when I saw Tomei on the signs on, along the road, I almost started crying. <laughs> yeah, because she had hoped so much to, to get here. Now, Carrie, we're almost out of time, but yeah, as, uh, a, as a Lawson sorry. scholar, I wonder if you have a favourite uh, Henry Lawson story or poem. Um... I, I was hoping I could tell you about more than one thing, really, uh, because because to to find one thing is very difficult. Uh-huh. So I'll be very short. Um, poem. I I like of course faces in the street and second class wait here because they are very realistic and um, support the poor. But I can also enjoy a poem like the heart of the swag. Because it's warm and a bit romantic, and he liked the segment. As for the stories, because I I like best the the stories from the the eighteen nineties, because I think they're best. Can you think of a does one stand out? One stand out. Dover's wife or the bush undertaker, one of those. Dover's hmm. wife, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you. Of course, um, there was one thing we had to skip now, and that was really the thesis, what it was about. Would you um, like to talk some, some more then about that, uh, Carrie? Uh, you, your focus was on yeah. Lawson's shifting reputation over time. Would you like to talk some more some about that? In the beginning, people loved, in the 1890s, people loved reading Lawson's realistic descriptions of Australia, both in most all, both in poems and and stories. Then, after that, there came, as far as I could understand, um, a period where the interest was his personal life because it became so tragic. And then, after having ended up as he did, there was this state funeral. Fantastic, not to believe. He had no money when he left, when he lived practically, and got this tape, you know. And then there was a period with biographies, a lot of biographical writing, um, and it's you could hear sometimes the, the titles of of the biographies told you a bit. For instance, the Great Dreamer, right? And then you have. Manning Clark, the historian, writing about In Search of Henry Lawson. And that made Roderick so angry that 
he hurried to write his first biography, the real Henry Lawson, and ended up with this enormous biography called The Life later. But there, had, there has also, during all the time, Lawson has also been of interest to socialists and communists, right? All sorts of socialists. So in their magazines, there was a lot about Lawson. Um, then interest shifted from man to work, maybe with Brian Matthews. From then on, people read less poetry and were more critics, at least more interested in his stories. Now, many of the people, many of the critics say that his, some of his best stories are world class. And then, of course, there has been a quest for identity for ever so long. And this started in the 1950s, actually, with, for instance, Russell Ward, the Australian legend. And Lawson was given the honor, so-called, to have the made up, been a maker of the Australian identity for these very rough men who could drink and fight and stand by a mate, right, whether he was right or wrong, right, big critical to police, etc., etc. And uh, he found that um, could be because a lot of earlier convicts were, were working in the in the bush, right, and so some there ideals kind of came into the the identity of of the Australians, at least the Australian men. And then there was the bicentenary debate around 1988. And I went to Australia in 1994 and I came home with an awful lot of books and they all wrote about Henry Lawson. And uh, and he and stated he, he was really one of the makers of Australian identity, and I can underbeat it. But there have been a few critics, certainly. So in 70 years after his death, he was criticized very toughly by feminists, for instance, Kay Schaffer. Uh, wrote about gender roles, and um, she was not did not like the Australian gender roles, and she blamed Henry Lawson. Uh, but she was not the only one. And then, in if I go back to the 1920s, for instance, there was a man called Fred Davison who who was afraid that Henry Lawson's descriptions of the bush would frighten immigrants from coming to Australia and help tame the bush. And he, I think he, he had a marvelous way of writing it, because I'll, I'll quote that. He said, he wrote, Henry Lawson's writings are full of droughts, dead sleep, folk cries, drunken men, and flat-chested women. It would be a kindness to kill, etc., etc. So there has not been only praised, but almost the, the majority of critics have praised him. 
Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly it's impossible to please all of the people all of the time. We know that. So you know, one would certainly expect that there would be lots of criticism of Henry Lawson and lots of praise for Henry Lawson. Yeah, I, f I find it fascinating that over the last hundred years, the, the varied, complex, and often contrasting portrayals of Lawson, it, it, I think it points to the, the many faces of Lawson. Right, that yeah, he yeah. he is none of none of these things singularly, but really a co composite of these this lovely litany that you've just provided through the history of the study of this mm -hmm. figure. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you very much, Carrie. I just want to say that this podcast series came about in response to a request from the Henry Lawson Memorial and Literary Society. So if you enjoy the podcast, please do let others know about it and invite them to consider joining the society. And in closing, we wish to thank John Schumann for kindly granting us his permission to use the musical excerpts from his Lawson album. We also wish to thank David Minier, the executive producer of the album. Okay, so thank you very much, Carrie. We're going to uh, sign off now, but we really appreciate your time and we wish you continued good health and good luck in Norway. I remember, oh man, I remember the checks that we followed our clear. 